Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them now to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 5. Because in Matthew chapter 5, we have a verse that really helped to inspire us in the wording of our mission statement. And if you don't have a Bible today, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You take that Bible and turn in the back portion of it to page 3, you would be at Matthew 5. But I want your eyes to rest on Matthew 5, 16, and you know even as you leave the property, you'll see signs that tell us to shine. Notice what it says here. This is Jesus speaking. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, men and women and young people, that is a high calling. Jesus telling us that we should let our light shine before men in such a way that what would happen? that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. A high calling and a high privilege that ought to excite us every single day. Now, I want you to turn in the, in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel and chapter number 12. It's a number of books to the left in your Bible. And I want to look at a particular phrase and a particular verse of Daniel chapter 12. I was reading through Daniel 12, and you know, Daniel is, is one of those books that emphasizes the return, the magnificent return of Jesus Christ and power and glory to judge the world. And uh, even in chapter 12 and verse 1, it's talking about how he's going to come back in this time of distress, such as has never occurred before in the world. But in particular, I want you to notice what he says in verse 3. He says, I think this is regarding people who are in the era of the return of Christ. He says, those who have insight, we could say those who are wise, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, like the brightness of the sky above. But what really caught my eye was the last phrase of verse 3. It says, and those who lead the many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. What a cool idea that we would have the privilege of leading the many to righteousness, and as a result of that, we would shine in eternity forever and ever. Deep down inside, while I'm on this planet, I want to make a difference. While I have life, I want to have an impact for eternity. And I think all of us can resonate with that. All of us want to make a difference. All of us want to have an impact for eternity. And it says very clearly that those who lead the many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Now, when we think about leading the many to righteousness, part of what would be involved with that, we would know, would be sharing the good news with people, sharing the gospel message, sharing the truth about who Christ is and what he's come to do. And that is a very vital part. 
a crucial part, a pivotal part in leading people to righteousness. And we need to be about that. But I think there's another element that we often overlook that can play a part in leading many to righteousness, and that is by doing good. Just as it says in Matthew 5.16, we can shine in such a way that people would see our good works and then ultimately glorify the Father. In other words, we display good works in our world And it points people to the Heavenly Father. It's another way that we can lead the many to righteousness. When we did our series on salvation, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 some, and we noted in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says this, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's talking about us who know Him. We, and, and the verb is very critical here. We are ambassadors for Christ. Do you get up on Monday and think about that? You know, an ambassador obviously has the assignment of carrying out the will of the one who sent him, but part of what an ambassador's job is, is to make the person who sent him look good. And that's really what we're called to do. We are ambassadors for Christ. And not only does that mean we do his will on this planet, but our job is to make God look good. In fact, it's to make God look great. How long has it been since you had that perspective as you began your week? Here I go. Part of my job is to make God look good and to make God look great. And the thrust I really want to talk about in a few minutes today is this idea that by doing good, you me, all of us, can play a part in leading many to righteousness. And this whole idea of doing good has a rich vein of emphasis in the New Testament. And I want us to look at a couple of passages. Turn in the New Testament to the book of Titus, chapter number 2. Titus, chapter number 2. You have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then you have Titus. And sometimes we miss this, men and women. We lose sight of this. By doing good, we can lead many to righteousness. Notice Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. He's talking about our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify himself a people for his own possession. But then I want you to notice the last phrase. This is what is to be descriptive of the people of God. Zealous for good deeds. Notice chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says to Titus, remind the believers to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. And then notice what he says, to be ready for every good deed. Look down at verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently to the believers, so that those who have believed God will do what? That's us. Those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable 
for men. Look, look at verse 14. Our people, the people of God who know him, must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. That's talking about us. By doing good, we can lead, help lead many to righteousness. Look a few books to the left to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 6. This is a rich vein of emphasis in the New Testament, Galatians 6, 9. He says there to these believers, let us not lose heart in doing good. You see, that can happen to us. This is our calling, but we can lose heart. We can get discouraged. But he says, let's not lose heart, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, let's conclude here. While we have opportunity, what are we to be about? Let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul had this message over and over again. It's a rich vein of emphasis. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, he said to Timothy, instruct the believers, listen, to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You see, that's our calling. We are to be about the business of doing good and letting our light shine in such a way that people would see our good works and those good works would point people to the Heavenly Father. But let's be honest and let's be transparent because too often we, we drift from that perspective, don't we? Are we really invigorated with that perspective every week as we launch into it? No. Often we just have drifted from it. And I think there are several reasons why. One reason why is it's easy to be distracted. You know, our lives are full and our lives are hectic. The other day I was having a conversation with my wife Janet and I was telling her, you know, every once in a while on the TV you'll see pictures of people in communities in the daytime and you see them There'll be people just sitting around or, or people just standing around. And I realize that many of them are without jobs, and we're grateful for those of us who have them. But when I see that, I, I, I tell my wife, I said, I can't even imagine what that's like. You know, that you have time to sit around during the daytime, that you have time just to kind of stand around and, and chew the fat with people. I'm going, I, I can't get everything done. I've got too much stuff to do, you know. My life is wild. It's hectic. I always feel like I run out of time every single day. See, sometimes we get distracted from what God has called us to do. And our life, our life can be full, but it's really not fulfilling. It can be hectic and not really be strategic. And I think every once in a while, it's good just to slow down and reflect a little bit. And that's what today is really like for us, where we can reflect and maybe recalibrate a little bit. We can often drift from this perspective of making this a priority in our life. Well, one reason why is it's easy to be distracted. Another reason why I think we can drift from that perspective is that it takes an, other, an others-oriented outlook to do that. You know, my daughter Rebecca and her husband Nick, 
They got our two little grandsons, and they're just getting old enough now where you do the typical family thing where you're thinking, you know, let's begin to think about how we can get, get the boys to Disney World. And uh, I remember when our family was small like that, and we were thinking and dreaming about the same thing. Want to get the kids while they're small to Disney World. And if you have small kids and you go to Disney World, you know there's one ride you're going to be sure that you go on. And that's, it's a small world. And if you go on that ride, you're going to hear the song. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small, small world, right? Yeah. Now, if you go on that ride as an adult, you know what happens to you. You get, it's a small world to death. It starts to grate on you before the ride is over. You've heard it so often. But you know, that's a great theme song for the way the world thinks. The world tries to promote it's a small world thinking. See, the world promotes the perspective, what you need to do is be self-focused. The best thing you can do to make yourself happy and fulfilled is to be self-absorbed. And so as a culture, we become infected with what NBA basketball coach Pat Riley called the disease of me. And when you're very self-focused and self-absorbed and you're afflicted with the disease of me, it's a small, small world. And so what I need, and I think what all of us need, is to have our perspective revitalized. We need this from time to time. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And I want us just to read a couple of verses here that I think can help us to revitalize our perspective if we're caught up in a very small, small world. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. It's talking about Jesus Christ, our Savior, and it says he died for all. And then there's a key phrase there, two little words, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, when we become part of the people of God, there's a gear shift from it's a small, small world to now living for him. Look at chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, and I want you to, to notice verse 14. There's some amazing phrases here that are used to describe the people of God. It's, it talks about in verse 14 how God manifests himself through us, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Now, that's, that's an amazing statement. Think of everywhere you go throughout your week. The idea is that God is manifesting the sweet aroma of who he is through us. And then he says in verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We need to have our perspective revitalized. We need to remember that we live in the land of the perishing. 
It's the truth. I like the way Ron Hutchcraft put it. He says this, when Jesus looks at people cruising the mall, he doesn't see shoppers, he sees dying people. When Jesus sees young people pouring out of the local high school each afternoon, he doesn't see students, he sees dying people. When Jesus watches men and women going into that factory or office building each morning, he doesn't see workers, he sees dying people. And so when you go to your place of function in the week, are you seeing dying people? We live in the land of the perishing. And here's what's cool, though, is that we, this is part of God's plan. It's part of why he called you to himself. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance of Christ among those who are perishing. Did you think of yourself that way this past week? Now, it's very easy to psych ourselves out of this, you know, to start to undersell ourselves. And we say, well, you know, how can I really be the fragrance of Christ to the people that I'm rubbing shoulders with all the... I mean, <laughs> I'm not an extrovert. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not a sophisticated theologian like Jeff Harwell. I'm not an aggressive salesman type of person. But you know what? God has designed you to be the aroma and the fragrance of Christ. And part of what's involved, I believe, in leading many to righteousness, part of what's involved in being an ambassador of Christ, part of what's involved in being the fragrance and aroma of Christ is this idea of shining in such a way. You see the signs to remind us when we leave. Shine in such a way that people might see our good deeds that we would be careful to engage in good deeds. We would not lose heart in doing good. Well, when we start talking about that, shining in that way and being rich in good works, how do we do that? How do we pull that off? You know, I'm a practical guy. I want to know how we can do that. How can we shine in such a way that people can see our good works? How can we be the aroma and the fragrance that can help lead many to righteousness. I'm going to give you some very practical information now, and I'd encourage you to jot these things down because these are three ways that we can be the aroma and the fragrance of Christ, wherever we are. The first way is by performing acts of love and kindness, by performing acts of love and kindness. And when you do that to people who don't really know you, guess what happens? It arouses their curiosity. I read about a human interest story that appeared on a Denver television station newscast, and what they showed was a young airplane mechanic who was stopping on the freeway to help a stranded motorist. And what they did is they began to talk to this young guy, and, and they found out that he takes one evening every week to cruise the freeways of Denver with his tools, and he has antifreeze, and he has oil, and he helps every motorist whose car is broken down. He does that one evening a week. And during the interview, they asked him why he decided to do this. And here's what he said. He said that he was a Christian and that the Bible had said that Christians were to love others. And then he made this statement. He said, some people can preach 
And some can teach, but this is something that I can do. And there are things that you can do in your part of the culture, in your part of the community, in your part of our world. And you say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, just ask yourself this question. When you're thinking of people that you rub shoulders with, what could I do for whoever that would make them feel loved, make them feel cared for? What need does such and such a person have that I could meet? Now, I'm just going to fertilize your thinking. There's all kinds of things that you could do. You might even know a single parent, and you might say, hey, I'll babysit for you for a night. Maybe you could provide someone who needs transportation some transportation. Maybe someone that you know has a dirty job that they don't really want to do, and you could say, I'll do that for you. Uh, Maybe you could even take when there's new neighbors who move into your neighborhood and bake fresh cookies, delicious fresh cookies, and, and deliver them to them. That's something Janet and I have been doing for years. Maybe you can offer to repair and upkeep something. Maybe you have a particular skill and you could offer to teach them that skill that you have. Maybe you could offer to mow their lawn or water their garden when they're on vacation. Anybody know any elderly people around? Yeah, we know elderly people and and you can really help them in tremendous needs. You can offer to wash their windows or to change their heating filters or to clean their gutters. There's, there's endless possibilities here, men and women. I read about one little group of people who got together, and this is what they decided to do. They went around their neighborhood, and they said, we want to make our neighborhood more safe. And so what we're here to do, and they had a whole uh, passel full of 9-volt of batteries, and they said, we're here to replace all the batteries and all of your smoke detectors. And then when they would find somebody who didn't have a smoke detector... Uh, they would have a smoke detector they would offer to install, and those things go for under $20. See, there's all kinds of ways that we can do this by performing acts of love and kindness. And I really have appreciated our college group because they've caught a little bit of the sense of that. Every year when there's the move-in to the new students, you know, the dorm move-in, they offer to help do that, and then they came up with this great idea. They offer a free giveaway of toilet paper. Everybody needs toilet paper, and hardly anybody brings toilet paper with them. But it's just a way of communicating something, and you can do this. You know, you might just think of some neighbors that you know, and you offer to have them over for a a cookout, or maybe there's a family that you know that you'd like to get to know better, and you just go over and say, we want to treat your family to ice cream, or we want to treat your family to snow cones. Now, when you do things like that, guess what happens? They start to say, why are you doing this? And there's a lot of different ways that we can respond. We can say things like, well, you know, God's done many good things for me, and I enjoy doing good things for others. Or maybe we could say, "I, I enjoy demonstrating God's love in a practical way because his love is very practical to me. Or if it's just your style, you could say, hey, I just enjoy imitating my personal hero, Jesus who did great things for me. So if we're we're going to do this, if we're going to shine, if we're going to be the aroma and fragrance, fragrance of Christ, one way we can do it is by performing acts of love and kindness. Here's a second very practical way that we can do that, and that is by joining and celebrating other people's good times. And I'm talking particularly about folks who don't know God. You know, in Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. We miss all kinds of opportunities just to to remember 
uh, people's birthdays or to, or to bake them a special treat or give them a special treat or to recognize a graduation in their family or maybe even a wedding and supporting them and celebrating with them. We can do it by performing acts of love and kindness. We can do it by joining and celebrating others' good times. A third very practical way is we can do it by being there in their hard times. This is very effective with people. Romans 12, 15 goes on to say, weep with those who weep. I think the NIV says, mourn with those who mourn. You know, it impacts people when we check in on them when we've heard that they were sick or we heard that they had an operation or we heard that they had a death. That happens all around in our neighborhoods. Or maybe people you go to school with, you'll hear about those things. And people have a hungry heart for felt love very hungry heart for felt love. And I'll tell you, it will make a fond memory with people if you come alongside them when they're dealing with a funeral situation or you lend a hand in an emergency or you visit them in the hospital. I remember when Katrina happened down in Louisiana and we had all those refugees who came up here into Norman and I was just so proud of Wildwood the way we just came around all of them. We still have contact with some, several of them. And you know when you do that, people say, why are you here? Why are you doing this? And we can say things like, well, you know what? God's always been there for me. And I enjoy being there for other people who have need. And some of you are thinking, I don't know. That that just sounds cool, but I don't really know how to get started. I'll give you one way we can all get started, and that is this. When you know that people are going through difficulty and they're in hard times, offer to pray for them. You know, when someone's bending your ear about some difficulty they're facing, just turn to them and say, would you mind if I prayed for you right now? Right now? You know, there's some people that you go to school with, you live near and you work with, who have never had anyone pray for them specifically in their entire life. And men and women, that is a live demonstration of the reality of having a relationship with God. We have the opportunity to be the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of the Savior, and people have a hungry heart for felt love. Now, I want you to know that if we commit to do this and to to be the people of God in this way, which is what we're called to be, there may come times when it stretches us a little bit. Time, uh, Tom Eisenman tells the story of David. David was a ninth grade boy in the youth program at their church. David was a big guy, athletic, pretty tough, but he had a great heart for Jesus. And in school, he was making a coffee table for his mother to give to her as a Christmas gift. And as he was working on that in his shop, he finished it a few days before Christmas, but he left it in the shop because he didn't want to have to take it home and try to hide the table from his mom. So on the last day of school before Christmas vacation began, David went to pick up his table, and he was shocked to find that someone had stolen it. Now, David was a pretty popular guy and had many friends in the school, and it didn't take very long for him to find out who took the table. It was a younger boy who was as far from popular as anyone could be, 
pretty frail kid. So what did David do? Now I believe he was thinking, I am to be the aroma and the fragrance of Christ. Part of my calling as a follower of Jesus is to do good to people. So what did David do? Well, he spent the entire beginning time of his Christmas vacation in the shop at school making a duplicate table. And when he finished, he went to the other boy's house, rang the doorbell, and when that younger boy answered the door and he saw David standing there, he was petrified with fear. But David said this to him, I have something I'd like to give you and your family for Christmas. And he handed him that duplicate table that he had made. Immediately, the younger boy got tears in his eyes and went back into his house and came back with the first table that David had made and gave it back to him. And that younger boy asked for forgiveness and David granted it. And within a few weeks, that younger boy was attending the youth programs at the church and eventually trusted in Christ as his Savior. Those who lead the many to righteousness will shine as the stars forever. This is just a great reminder that I need and I think all of us need. Now, I have some life response for us. And here's the life response. It's very simple. Shine on. That's the whole deal. We're supposed to shine as light. Shine on. And as you go through your week, have people eyes. People eyes. And think about opportunities to perform acts of love and kindness and to join in celebrating people's good times and to be there in their hard times. And and as we do that, the the whole idea is not that that you would look great or I would look great or that even Wild would would look great but that we would make Christ's love known to other people. We're talking about pass it on and where we are in our anniversary flow, and and we're going to expand. We're going to grow as a church. We need more involvement from all of us. You know, good works that we can do. We need people to do hospitality, to greet and direct people, and to make coffee. We, we have uh, our, our Count Me In children's ministry expansion. We're, we're teaming up for next year. We have Go Wild coming up this weekend, which I'm going to miss. I'm I'm really frustrated by that because I love being at Go Wild, and you can be involved in that. We have a run for Haiti, and we need to continue to invest in what we've begun two years ago. And Mark is going to come up now and share us with us a little bit more, giving us an update on exactly where we are in our whole Pass It On campaign. So Mark, come on up. You know, it's a real privilege to be able to, to come up here on behalf of, of uh, the pastors and the elders and to kind of give an update on where we're at with Pass It On. I mean, Pass It On is a part of Wildwood's uh, strategic emphasis to do what Bruce said, to shine on in our community. And um, so, you know, we, we're in the, in the process of doing this. And I, I had an experience this weekend that, that kind of drove this home for me. I actually went to Dallas yesterday uh, with my son 
And uh, we, were, we were down there for my uncle's 80th birthday, but we went down to the seminary, to Dallas Theological Seminary, and there's a statue at the seminary of Jesus washing Peter's feet. And uh, Josh went up, and he was touching that statue, and he was asking me questions about it, and I was telling him the story, and we were, we were going through it, he's asking all these questions. And it was so encouraging to me and so exciting to think of the privilege it is to tell somebody for the first time the story of Christ. And when we talk about Pass It On and our children's ministry initiative, it's an opportunity to tell our community, the young portion of our community, for the first time about Christ. And that's what we're doing. We're not just building this for our children, for our families. We're building this so that we can reach more families in our community with the good news of Christ. And that's really the idea. And in order to do that, we need some more space. And so we're going to be adding about 20,000 square feet of children's ministry space. As we talk about this, um, and we've been talking about it for a couple of years, there's some specifics that I want to review for you so you kind of get an idea of where we're at. Uh, the, the total cost of this project is about $4.5 million. That includes the, the building, the parking lot, uh, some other things that were a part of that, but $4.5 million. We did a capital drive uh, two years ago. It, it, it uh, began where we had $2.2 million committed. Of that $2.2 million that is has been committed, $1.7 million has already come in, and that has allowed us to, at this point, borrow zero dollars. And so we're very thankful to God for His provision up to this point. We're trusting for His provision in the future. We do have uh, financing arranged uh, for a mortgage for this building, and, and that money set aside so that we can, we can do that when we, if we get to that point. But to this point, we're thankful that, that uh, God has provided and we're committed to borrowing as little as possible and paying it off as fast as possible, but uh, we're excited for what God has provided so far. Uh, at, at this point, we are looking at the building being completed in fall 2010, so uh, very soon, five, six months from now, we're going to be out in this, uh, in this new building. Um, if you made a three-year commitment to pass it on, just know that as this is the second year anniversary that uh, we have one more year until that giving campaign portion is, is completed. Uh, so I wanted to just also catch up a little bit about where, where we're at. That some pictures here. You see where the new building is going to sit directly behind where I'm standing right now. Uh, you all see an image of what the building is going to look like from the exterior, uh, more or less. This is just an artist rendering at an early stage. Um, but, you know, we began construction about a year ago on this area, and there was a lot of work that's been done. The ground has been cleared, the foundation has been poured, and the steel has, has gone up. And we have, uh, you know, begun this process. And you, you may go, wow, it seems like it's gone very slowly. Um, and, you know, we just we had a, a winter full of blizzards. Uh, but, but now that those are, are done, the building is, is ready to, to be weathered in, and it's going to move much quicker uh, from this point on, and we're, we're hopeful to be done this fall. Um, but one of the things that you haven't seen is you may have seen the construction going on, you may have, have uh, seen some drawings, you, you, you may not have heard much about what the building might look like on the inside when it's completed. And uh, we have partnered with a, a local set of interior uh, designers and graphic artists uh, that, are, that are two Christian brothers who are helping us theme out this uh, interior so that it's an attractive space for children. You know, if you're going to build a building, what kind of building do you want to build? Well, since this is a children's building, we wanted it to be an attractive space. And so we, we were trying to decide, we have a team here within the church who have been contemplating this notion of what it would look like. We wanted to have a theme that was general and broad enough 
be able to tell all of the story of the Scripture uh, while still being a fun and interactive environment for the kids. And so when we talk about decorating the building, specifically in the hallways of the building, we wanted to go down a, a path that was kind of a vintage road trip where we are sojourners in this life, we're travelers in this life, but as we travel through this world, uh, Jesus is with us everywhere we go. And the hallways in the building are going to be themed around different geographical areas where there's going to be desert and forest and mountains and beach. Um, but we're also going to have some large 3D elements in the lobby area uh, that will help to tell a story a little bit. And you see some of them here. There's, there's even going to be in one of the breakout areas a 1948 Spartan trailer uh, that's going to be finished out with some seating inside for, for children when they're waiting. Uh, we don't have tons of pieces like this, but they'll really help to complete the look, and you see some of, some of the pictures of it there. So we're excited that not only are we going to have a building, but we're going to have a building that's going to be an attractive space, really a gift to our community to invite them in so that they might hear the message of Christ here from us as we shine on. Bruce? Hey, thanks, Mark. And I'll tell you, we're really excited about, I'm incredibly excited about the theme of this thing, and it's going to really look cool. And part of that is, again, because we want to be able to attract people so we can begin to share the message of Jesus Christ with them. And um, we're going to end really by praying today, a little bit different than normal. We had a lot of information we wanted to convey. Um, but let's just close in, in a word of prayer together. Father, we want to thank you, first of all, for Christ and who he is. We want to thank you for calling us to be a part of this process of leading many to righteousness. And Father, we would pray you just would refresh our perspective today as we think about how you want us, when we go out of here and we're living our week, to be the aroma and fragrance of Christ. We would pray that you would take us to new levels, individually and collectively as a church, where we would shine as light in such a way that people would see our good works, our good deeds, and it would point them to the living God. Father, we don't understand all you're going to do, but we would pray that you would do exceeding abundantly beyond even the things that I'm praying today, that you would do it according to the fact that you are a great God of incredible power, and ultimately that you would do it so that one person alone gets glorified and honored, and that is the person of Jesus Christ who bled and died for us. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.